0: Pastor Mike Favares with Focal Point Ministries. I trust that the following recorded sermon will be a benefit and a challenge to your Christian walk. For more information about Focal Point Ministries, log on to our website at focalpointministries.org, focalpointministries.org, or call us toll-free at 888-320-5885. Well, it's great to have you back, week number eight. I think it's going very quickly, it seems. It'll be Christmas before you know it, and we'll be done for another semester. So let's pray our way through this one. Ask God to give us a a good and insightful informative time. Let's pray. God, we are approaching this with a sense of necessity. In part, we need to understand what's going on in our culture, the things that are being claimed. We'd like to uh, be respectful, even as we saw in the apostolic age. And yet we uh, have to be very clear about just what your word says versus what people are saying about you. And we pray this would be a good time for us to be enlightened with accurate information about this next group that we're going to look at tonight. I pray that you would uh, give us a a set of ears to hear, eyes to see, to be able to see clearly and evaluate and discern clearly the things that, that are before us. So thanks so much for this opportunity, for the freedom that we have to do it. Thank you for the opportunity that it lies before us tonight give us uh, endurance and and concentration and the ability to work through this uh, in a very logical, cogent way as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Week number eight, Christian Science. Let's talk a little bit about it. A truly American birthed cult group that is unlike others that we would see with a large worldwide population. It's very difficult even to get numbers in terms of adherence to this group, so Let's stick with America here as we get started, and uh, let's think this through just in terms of Christian science. You've seen the Christian science churches, quote-unquote. You've seen their reading rooms. Perhaps you've seen their symbol here, their logo, uh, the crest that they use that they've copyrighted to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons, the cross and the crown. Uh, we need to talk about the top five states that we find these in, and much like Mormonism, you'll see a concentration in parts of our country. I'll just give you the top five states, and I'll talk in terms of branches. The branches have a very loose kind of connection with tributaries that, that work into those branches. They do represent uh, churches and reading rooms and societies and, and group meetings that they have in homes, but to call them branches, well, it's just to compare our apples with apples here from each state. So number five, ranking number five, just to start at the bottom here, is the state of Texas with 93 branches uh the in fourth place fourth place 94 in Florida uh we we get over the 100 mark in Illinois 104 branches 108 in New York and what do you think is going to be number 1 on this list the land of fruits and nuts right <laughs> California now what do you think that number might be 109 110 150 295 branches in California so maybe that justifies why I am addressing for an hour and a half tonight the Christian Science Movement, uh, because we certainly live in the uh, most active region in the United States in the world for Christian Science. And let's take it one step further. Let's go to five top counties. And the fifth top county for all of Christian Science, not just in California, but all over the country, all over the world, but certainly in the country where this flourishes, uh, is going to be with 20 churches. 20 actual churches where they meet for Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday school they call it, even evening services. There are 20 of them right here in Orange County. We made the top five list. 23 churches in San Diego County. There are 26 churches up in Washington. You see the West Coast here coming in at the top uh, of the list. 38 in Cook County, Illinois. Of course, that's Cook County is where Chicago is uh, and where the Cubs live. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. if you're listening to this broadcast 100 years from now, this was the year that the Cubs won. No, I'm just kidding. Just in case. The Lord doesn't come back, and uh, they don't win for another 100 years. All right, 70, 75 churches. Where do you think those are going to be? Los Angeles County, that's right. 75 churches in Los Angeles County. The biggest concentration in California by far almost three times as many. And we rank uh, with uh, number one with L.A. County, number five with Orange County, number four with San Diego County. So it's worth our time to work through this. And I'm assuming in a group this size, we've got many people around these tables that know people that are calling themselves uh, Christian scientists. If you open up a map, and I try to do this each time just to kind of get our our little area here in Orange County, and you were just to call up uh, Christian Science there on your search page, you'd find several hits in and around our area. The one I see all the time, maybe you do too, this is heading south on Moulton, which turns into Golden Lantern there at Crown Valley. Uh, Right off there to this side, the right side, the ocean side of Golden Lantern, there is the Christian Science reading room there. You'll find one here in Laguna Beach if you hang out there. Hard to see, but it's that building right there on the awning. It's behind the tree. There's the Christian Science uh, outlet here. Here's one in Rancho Santa Margarita. If you're out there, they built a new one out there with that new community. It's a rather big uh, facility in Rancho Santa Margarita on Via Condeos. Down in San Juan, if you go right past the railroad tracks heading toward the ocean on Del Obispo, it's right off to the right there. You can't really see it kind of small, but you see the sign I circled there, uh, the Christian Science Group. Here is uh, Irvine, as long as we're going in the area, which is a a fairly decent facility. Uh, Here's one that's even more money put into this building, as every building in Newport Beach. This is Newport Beach, not far from Fashion Island. Here is Tustin, as long as I'm thinking about our area and people I care about. Tustin Church has one not far from Compass Tustin, and as long as I was thinking that way, I thought I'd highlight one in... uh, Huntington Beach. This is Huntington Beach, the corner of 8th and Olive down there, prime piece of real estate, a smaller church, but it is the Christian Science Church in Huntington Beach, one of them. The mother church is in Boston. There is really only one church. All the other churches are branches, and they are branch churches. There really is only one church and one pastor, as we'll see, even though she's deceased. Uh, That Mother Church in Boston is quite an impressive building. Perhaps you've been there touring Boston or you know the area. You grew up back there. You might know the big, gigantic reflecting pool on the back. I think it covers like 14 acres downtown. Uh, That's the front of it there, quite an edifice that was built. It's a little bit like the Capitol building. Here's the back side of it here with the reflecting pool. There are some that kind of model themselves after this picture in Boston, the Mother Church. If you're up in, in L.A. or you spend a lot of time up there in Pasadena, they have one that looks quite a bit like it with the uh, columns out in front and then that big uh, dome, which, by the way, was all modeled after Vatican and St. Saint, Saint Peter's and the Vatican. That's another story, but that, uh, so was our Capitol building. I saw this one all the time when I lived in downtown Chicago. Uh, speaking of some of the bigger, more impressive uh, Christian science churches, this is right there. It's only, as you can see, a few stories off the ground, surrounded by gigantic buildings just off of sh- the Chicago River. And then, of course, you see these everywhere, these little Christian science reading rooms. Anybody been in one of those before, a Christian science reading room? It's just a place to read, but the, you know, the call off the street that might lead someone who has some interest in the Bible or God is things like this. I mean, you'll see, obviously, it's it's got the word Christian in it, and they'll have signs in the window like this, God is love, and if you like to read and you're inquisitive, it certainly seems a comfortable place to do that. Wingback chairs, sofas, uh, places to to sit and read in the library there, uh, mostly books from their leader. Christian Science Reading Rooms, you'll see them in downtown uh, suburban areas like this. Uh, You'll see them everywhere. Christian Science and Popular Culture, uh, and, and I hate to be so pejorative or uh, spiritually pejorative out of the gate, but you're going to find that even though a cult group might be a small percentage of Americans, uh, there is a huge satanic strategic operation. I'm not a conspiracist, unless you're talking about spiritual things, then I'm a conspiracist. The conspiracy of getting people in prominent places to push these things. When we get to um, Scientology, for instance, something that starts to almost make Christian science seem sane, you've got people that are rich and famous that people idolize and put the posters up of these people in their rooms, and they they are adherents to this. So uh, that's why I've started to get in the habit here, especially these, besides the big world religions, but uh, these groups within America, I think you need to see the people that are pushing these things. And no one's pushed it more, I think, recently in our culture than Val Kilmer, uh, Batman uh, himself, top gun fame, not looking quite in the same shape he was when he was in Top Gun, but that was many years ago. Val Kilmer, he has written about the leader of Christian science. He's a pretty diehard adherent to Christian science. He's tried to work at, on creating films about the founder of Christian science that haven't been uh, finished and completed and picked up. He, he's definitely uh, a big uh, spokesperson for that. Back in the day, Archie Bunker's wife, Jean Stapleton, a very deba- devout, active, practicing Christian scientist, you might not know, uh, speaking of back in the day, Henry Fonda uh, was raised a devout Christian science, scientist in his home. Uh, he drifted away from it, as many people do from a lot of their heritage when they go to Hollywood, but certainly uh, his roots are there. Another one that's more modern on television is Ellen DeGeneres was raised in a uh, Christian science home in a very, what she calls, I'm quoting her now, raised in a very, very strict Christian science family. We didn't have a shot at aspirin or anything until I was 13 years old. Had to go to church, had to do testimony nights every Wednesday night, uh, and then she goes on to pontificate about what she thinks of, of all of this. So she's she's not the Val Kilmer type, but certainly uh, her background and roots are in that. Elizabeth Taylor, who, as many of you know, converted to a form of Judaism, but early on she was definitely raised in the teachings of Christian science. Her mother was uh, devout And you can read about that. Athlete Shannon Miller, which you'd think, if you know anything about Christian sciences, will learn tonight. Hard to believe that an athlete would be a part of this. And she was in a liberal, quote-unquote liberal, Christian science family that uh, gave her some leeway in terms of getting medical help. But uh, her mom was a a serious Christian scientist and did allow her some uh, medical help. Gene Autry, believe it or not, yeah, owner of the Angels back in the day, the late Gene Autry. Uh, he wasn't a hardcore Christian scientist, but certainly dabbled in it, uh, would speak of it. Doris Day, she was very ardent about her Christian science. She threw herself into it, people report, and uh, didn't want traditional conventional medicine. She wanted spiritual healing for her ailments, Doris Day. Here's another that's not an ardent adherent, but certainly has a background in Christian science, Daniel Steele. I can say I have none of her books in my library, but some of you probably have read her. I had to actually look her up to see what exactly she's written. But uh, I'm not boasting now. I'm just telling you I was ignorant. Uh, And since I put uh, Herbie Hancock last week, which I just did because of the genre of jazz, I'll add another one here uh, from the jazz world. Lionel Hampton, he was raised in, um, not raised Christian science, but late in his life, he converted to Christian science and big interest in, in Judaism, some of you might know. But anyway, very gifted percussionist and jazz player. Well, in popular culture, it's hard to not speak of the longstanding influence America has had through the authors and writers of the Christian Science Monitor. Threw up an old picture of one of their early uh, issues, but today, of course, it's updated, but the Christian Science Monitor is still out and about. It's earned seven Pulitzer Prizes in our time. They have the Monitor Weekly, which has been renamed. Uh, They have the website that still, I find myself, as we all collect news these days through the gathering site on Google. You know, a lot of the things will come up from the Christian Science Monitor, a lot of foreign affairs coverage and uh, articles that I read from time to time because it gets fed into my news feed, but um, very active, very serious about their uh, news reporting. The Christian Science Sentinel, Sentinel, which is a publication of articles and testimonials uh, about healing uh, that they talk about. And of course, the uh, Christian Science Journal, which is another outlet publication for a lot of their philosophy. So, All of these things are still out and about from what I've read uh, from, I think, reliable sources. They're not making much money through the publishing arm anymore, but uh, neither are most publishing wings. So anyway, it all goes back to Mary Baker Eddy, and that's who we need to speak about for a while here. Before we get into some of the uh, very difficultly well, let's just say um, confusing teachings of Mary Baker Eddy. Let's talk about who she was uh, and, and a little bit of her story. She was born in 1821, to give you a time frame here. This is not that long ago. Uh, you can think of very many contemporaries that she had. Think of what was going on in America and the life ministry of Deal Moody and so many others, Spurgeon. You got Mary Baker Eddy being born in a uh, farm Town in New Hampshire. She was raised in a Congregationalist church, very uh, high Calvinistic uh, theology in the pulpit. Which, from an early age, and this is a repeated refrain we find from a lot of leaders that start cult movements, they didn't like the teaching, in particular in her testimonial of election and predestination, she couldn't handle it, didn't make sense to her, and so she was re- ready as a teenager to reject her church and her upbringing and the theology of her upbringing because she couldn't stand that doctrine. Uh, and that was just the very beginning of what you saw happen in an accelerated fashion when it came to Christian doctrine that she didn't like or understand. And you could just start to see these pegs falling. If she couldn't process it clearly enough in her own mind, she was willing to ditch it, whether it was the Trinity or the deity of Christ or whatever it might be. And it all started with her struggling with what has been a very difficult doctrine for all of us to understand, uh, reconciling the free will of man and God's sovereignty. She married at age 22 to a man named George Glover. And uh, this might play into a little bit of her interest in where she ended up. Uh, Her husband, uh, newly married, died seven months after they were married. He was pregnant when he died. uh, But they, uh, I mean, you can imagine what a heartbreak that would be to be a 22-year-old bride and your husband doesn't even live to see the birth of your child. She names her child George after her husband, her late husband, George Jr., and that didn't last very long. We'll talk about that. Became estranged to her son. And she speaks a lot about that. She talks in her own sermons and writings. And I've spent a lot of time reading her writings this week. And she'll speak about her estranged child, uh, George Jr., the only child she ever had. Her mother died as uh, George was young, uh, five years later. And again, I just state that because I think you'll see a lot of the suffering and pain and, and difficulty she had uh, with illnesses and death early in her life. In uh, formative years, and certainly in her marriage, when most people are ramping up and enjoying you know, motherhood, she was struggling with these things. George Jr. was sick. He was sick often. She couldn't handle it. And, and she, with the death of her husband, the death of her mother, she decided to give her son up for adoption. And that was the beginning of a rift between them that was never healed. George Jr. given up for adoption because he was sickly. She couldn't care for him. That was her claim, at least. She married again uh, at 32. A man named Dan Patterson divorced Dan claiming desertion. She claimed that he deserted her early on. She divorced him years later. So she's got another failed marriage, marriage number two. Not failed if your husband dies, but she has another uh, break, heartbreak in, in that her husband of choice is not there anymore. She starts having a series of protracted illnesses. Now, some of this, I think, is embellished for the sake of her testimony. And you'll see a lot of things about her past have been debated and disputed. And for good reason. I think there's a lot of things that don't add up and and things that she was caught lying about. But certainly the protracted illnesses in her life... Uh, the death of her husband, the desertion of her husband, the death of her mother, the sickly nature of her son. Uh, you can start to add up some of the pain in her life and the difficulty in it. At age 41 in 1862, she turns to the teaching of a man named Phineas Quimby. Uh, now that's an important person. Matter of fact, you can't talk about Christian science without having some knowledge of or reference to or uh, query about the man Phineas uh, Quimby. He is a man who is engaged in dispensing all of this alternative medicine of the day. Now, you can imagine where we're at in the mid-19th century. I mean, he's uh, experimenting with people's health, with magnets, uh, with mesmerism, uh, which is a kind of a form of hypnotism, acupressure. He's doing all kinds of things to try and seek out the root problem uh, to people's illnesses. And of course, Mary at this point is... Um, Still, and she wants help, and so she's going to go to Quimby, read his writings, and undergo his treatments, and uh, she actually uh, becomes a believer, uh, at least she does in the testimonials of those who knew her at the time. She has to distance herself from Quimby, as you'll see later, because uh, of the claims that she stole a lot of his materials. Nevertheless, the real turning point for her was a fall that she had, where she had back pain, and those of us that have had back pain, you know how excruciating that can be, and she has inflammation uh, in her spine, and, uh, and it's very painful. Uh, Well, she's got all this experience with Quimby's philosophy, which is this, that every human illness really has a a root back, a a foundation in some kind of mental disorder. In other words, the problem with every sickness is ultimately something wrong with your mind. And so when she has this fall and and she's uh, hurting, she ends up having an experience of laying in bed, convalescing, and she uh asks for a bible and she reads uh the story of Jesus healing the paralytic in Matthew and she rises up and claims that she's healed from what others have said i mean this was something she would naturally respond uh you know convalesce and get better uh, but nevertheless she claims that she has figured out the answer to all of the problems, which sounds a lot like what Quimby was teaching and writing and publishing uh, and 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 practicing. And so now she says she understands it. She has understood the keys to the problem of illness and disease. And she starts to uh, go and talk about this. She actually spends three years, according to her own testimonial, doing nothing but trying to study this newfound understanding of healing. And she says, uh, and of course she does this because she's wanting to uh, reap a, a following from church-going, Bible-believing people. Uh, so she says, at least in retrospect, all I did was study the Bible for three years to try and understand this key to our health and to figure out what the fix is for the diseases that we have. And so at age uh, 54, you can see some time has elapsed. She codifies all of it uh, in this book right here, which I have a very early edition of it. Matter of fact, it may be close to a First edition. I hadn't even checked what year it was. But anyway, uh, let me see if I have a first. It might be worth a few bucks. I don't know. Uh, no, it is a fourth printing, fifth printing. Nevertheless, 1906, my version of it. That's why it's falling apart. I put a lot of tape on it this week to keep it together but here's what she wrote she publishes uh, science and health and the whole title is science and health with the key to the scriptures which i'm sure you've heard if you have any contact with christian science which again as i want to lay the groundwork for reflects a lot of what phineas quimby was writing and teaching and practicing and more on that later Nevertheless, she teaches this new perspective on healings. Uh, she tries really hard to get a following in uh, churches. Uh, churches, though, uh, are not accepting the things that she's teaching. Uh, she goes around and holds classes wherever she can. She has one young student, uh, and I say that, and I've should i, I I've known this at one time. I've certainly read it. I don't remember how many years her junior. We have free Wi-Fi. Maybe you can look it up. Uh, but uh, several years her junior, she marries one of her students named Asa Eddy, Uh, Asa Eddy becomes an ardent supporter of of his new romantic interest, his teacher, and Mary becomes Mary Baker Eddy at this point at age 56. Frustrated that she cannot get churches to buy what she's teaching though she does have this grassroots following in her teaching and lecture circuit and maybe with a new found confidence in her new marriage to her young guy uh, her student uh, she establishes a church of her own she says fine then we're going to start our own church." and uh, she's working hard on trying to uh, raise money through this. Matter of fact, she tries to defend herself because people start to accuse her that all she's out to do is make money, and she did make a lot of money, died with a lot of money in the bank. Uh, but even in these early days, uh, she had to go on an apologetic, trying to tell everyone why it was appropriate for her to be collecting so much money uh, for her healing, practicing that she was doing in the lives of other people. Um, so anyway, like many quote-unquote faith healers today, uh, they often fly around in private jets and make a lot of money. Uh, Nevertheless, she becomes an early one of these, at least in pattern, by raising money and starting her own church at the age of 56. She actually founds uh, then in, in 1881 a metaphysical college to train these practitioners to do the healing that she says she's now figured out how to do in people's lives uh, which if you look for that, that's one of the few things she started that didn't, uh, didn't catch on. She had to close it down some years later. Nevertheless, that was her intention to have this college that people could learn these, these practices. Uh, but of course they didn't work very consistently. So, uh, the college shut down. Uh, and then in 1910, she dies at age 89. So a lot of years between her, you know, sixties, uh, early sixties where she gets all the ball rolling here, gets going, gets in the groove, does a lot of writing, uh, and spends her latter years um, dealing with a lot of health problems, actually, we'll talk about, and uh, dies at a, a ripe old age of 89. Now, I set this up to try and give you this connection between Quimby and Mary Baker Eddy. Now, you can imagine that those that were well taught in the Bible, when you start talking about the things that we'll outline later that were new teachings for the church, um, they didn't like it, and uh, so there was a, a groundswell of opposition to what she was saying because it was all new, and she claimed it was new. Uh, it was a new opening to what God needed to say uh, to the generation uh, and henceforth for all people to understand. She was going to give us the key to the scripture, as her book says, uh, as the title says. So. Even to the place of getting to the New York Times on June, July the 10th, which was one of many articles that were published, but this one was key. A big expose on July 10th, uh, 1904, uh, there was an article that was written, uh, that was a scathing article about her being a con man, basically. Uh, so. Con woman. She's out there doing her thing, collecting followers, and they expose her in this article. One of the things they work hard at, these reporters, is to show the connection. And I just get the middle cut out. You can actually find the pages of this, the representation of these pages through New York Times of when they published it in 1904. And the inset in the middle is clear signs of of plagiarism it's like what they did with driscoll not too long ago you know when you get columns side by side and you say well here's what one guy wrote and then here's what the other guy wrote and published years before it's 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 incontrovertible it's hard for you to say well i just kind of magically came up with the same sentences so that was the beginning of the exposure of claiming and rightly so and there's no way to talk your way around it and she tried and she uh, unsuccessfully for most reasonable people to uh, be labeled a, a plagiarist, and and it started there, but it didn't end there. She was claimed to be a plagiarist through a lot of other research as well in the time, and it's it's lingered on, reverberated to the present. Lindley Murray, who was a Quaker, who was a writer, an author, a grammarian, he has if and I know that's small. There's no way you can probably read that, but I mean these are lifted. These are paragraphs and sentences and phrases uh, with very little changes to them at all. And Mary Baker Eddy is publishing these things under her name and people are starting to find them. As a matter of fact, there was a student in her lectures once who came to her. Did I put that here? Yeah, I put on my notes here. Who was sitting in one of her lectures in the late 1800s and he was researching what she was saying and he went out, he... He went out and found Quimby's writings on the very same topic that were identical to what she was teaching and what she was publishing and passing out as her own. And um, as as he wrote these things, he, as he quoted Quimby, was accused by Mary Baker Eddy of stealing her material, which, of course, he was getting it from Quimby. She actually went and sued him, uh, the student, for plagiarizing her work, which he was getting from Quimby. And she won in court. And the point is, I mean, if you can win going that direction and you can prove I got my information from someone who published years before you, of course, I mean, this was all contested in a court of law. And though it worked backwards when she realized, she recognized this was uh, Quimby's work, it's cl- clearly been proven. Any reasonable person going to say she was a definite plagiarist. Another guy, Francis Lieber, was a guy who actually edited the Encyclopedia Britannica back in the day uh, from Germany. He was a jurist. He was a political philosopher. He came up with codes and regulations for warfare. And again, this is too small probably for most of you to read unless you're in the front row. But they put things side by side with Mary Baker Eddy and what she wrote. And again, pre-published, years before, indisputably before what Mary Baker Eddy published. And they're... Practically identical. You switch the subjects and you have the same verbs, the same constructions, the same direct objects, indirect objects, you have flat out plagiarism, which people were saying at the time. As a matter of fact, one of her most famous critics you might know, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, he wrote articles that because of the, and he was critical of a lot of things. He's certainly not a guy I would want uh, on the church staff, but he recognized that there was a lot of charlatans out there doing a lot of things in the name of God, and he didn't like that, uh, even though he was no uh, jewel of a churchman, that's for sure, and he was critical of good theology. Nevertheless, he went after Mary Baker Eddy because of this, this uh, ascending rise that she had in his day, and he recognized that she was lifting these things from writers that he was reading, and he said this, and he actually wrote a book, I have it uh, in my library, Christian Science by Mark Twain, where he goes off and, and says things like this. Largely speaking, he says, I've read, and of course it's in, in classic Mark Twain prose. Largely speaking, I've read acres of what pr- uh, purported to be Mrs. Eddy's writings in the past two months. I cannot know, but he's later going to prove. But I am convinced that the circumstantial evidence shows that her actual share in the work of composing and phrasing these things was so slight as to be inconsequential. She's a plagiarist. Where she puts her literary foot down, this is interesting, definite author writing here, Uh, her trail across her paid polisher's page is as plain as an elephant's, elephant's foot in a Sunday school procession. Her verbal output when left undoctored by her clerks is quite unmistakable. And you know what that's like if you're a teacher and you have kids turning in plagiarized material. When they actually write their own sentence, you go, that ain't the rest of the paper. And clearly that's what Mark Twain, who if for anything he was uh, a literary master, and and he, he saw right through her plagiarism. He had a lot to say about it. Her enemies charged that she surreptitiously took from Quimby a particular system of healing, which was mind cure with biblical basis, with a biblical basis. She and her friends denied that she took anything from him. Uh, this is a matter which we can discuss by and by, and he does in, in the book. Whether she took it or invented it, it was, materially, a sawdust mind. It was worthless when she got it. But she has turned it into a Klondike, right? I mean, she's made a massive amount of money on this. It's a spiritual dock that had next to no custom. It wasn't making any money for anyone, uh, if any at all. And from it, she has launched a worldwide religion, which now has 663 churches, and she charters a new one every four days. One more from Mark Twain. I think it is quite clear that the reason why Mrs. Eddy has concentrated in herself all the powers, all the distinctions, all the revenue that are within the command of the Christian Science Church Universal is that she desires and intends to devote them for the purpose of just what was suggested in the previous paragraph, the upbuilding of her personal glory, hers and no one else's, that... And the continuing of her name's glory after she shall have passed away. And clearly, that's exactly what's still going on. She is the only pastor of the church of Christian science. A matter of fact, you can go and, and see that. There are no pastors. She is the only pastor in perpetuity of the church. So let's talk a little bit about it. It's trying to define Christian science. That's a little bit about her life and her legacy uh, by her peers. And now let's try and understand what she taught. Uh, and we'll try our best. Let's start just by getting our arms around basically what the claims are here. And to start with, let's get the the name straight, uh, Christian Science, which is very interesting, and as I'll try to prove, it's neither Christian nor science. But um, it's called a Christian Science Church. It's also called the Church of Christ Science, and it's also called, on some signs that you go past, I think the one I put on the first page about churches in America, it's the first Church of Christ scientist. You'll see all three of those, and it's all referring to the same thing at least those three names you'll find uh, that represent this. Now, and I mean this not in, in, in any way in mockery, but it is not scientific. If you use that definition from any kind of dictionary in that it denies the physical realities and their subjection to natural laws, okay The whole point of what she 's saying, though repeatedly and ad nauseum, i 've listened to her this week uh, in the you know the, the sermons and lectures and, and, and writings that she 's written, um, she claims the word science repeatedly that she 's discovered the science of healing but all of her descriptions have nothing to do with the realities of of material existence and those material things being subject to the laws of nature. And so in anybody's definition today, except in her mind, uh, that's certainly not scientific. I mean, I don't know. What were your thoughts early on? I remember as a kid seeing the, you know, first church of Christian science or you know first church of Christian scientists. And I think, wow, that's got to be a cool place, you know? I want to go, there's a church full of scientists. I'd like to go to that church and, and not knowing anything about uh, what it was. Anyway, anyway, the whole point of Christian science is to provide you with salvation now, every word is redefined in Christian science from every phase of evil. So in that sense, I guess you could say there's a parallel to what we learn and, and read in the Bible. Of course, we want to be delivered from evil. That's what we want. We want that in our sanctification. We want that ultimately in the new Jerusalem. We want that through the atonement of Christ. Um, that's certainly the case. And she wants to free people from sin and death. And I'm thinking that sounds really biblical. Uh, and, and so do I. Uh, But of course, the focus is healing of diseases, which much like, you know, Benny Hen across the street, when it comes to some ministries, that's the focal point of their ministries. Now, in theory, we're all about saving you from sin and death, but that we're going to find in a minute is filled with bizarre definitions. But when it comes to what's your problem and why would you come to the Christian Science Church, it's because you have a disease, a sickness, an illness, and you want to be freed from that. And so the practice is for you to be healed from your illnesses, which we'll talk about what that is and what that means, uh, by spiritual means alone. Much like Quimby, who was trying to teach you that every single physical ailment that you had could be traced back to some mental disorder, Uh, she's saying it's a spiritual problem and, and you need to be healed from that through a spiritual means alone. You don't need a vaccination, you don't need medicine, you don't need vitamins, you don't need... Anything that's material to fix your material problems because, as we'll learn, material things don't even exist. And what we need to do is find the spiritual means to fix the problem of disease, which even in her mind is not really ultimately a a problem at all. Anyway, if you want... Uh, to go to the source, uh, the the source is going to be obviously the the book, which is we'll talk about some more the science uh, and 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 health with the key to the scripture. But you can find the information as it's laid out in their quote unquote doctrinal stand on their website, ChristianScience.com. And uh, if you go there, I would say though they're not. Uh, proselytizing. They're not evangelistic in, in the sense that you would find with the JWs or the Mormons, uh, not going on missions. They are very skilled and deft, if you will, to get you drawn into the website by immediately connecting you with words you've heard in church for for years. In other words, you're going to have all the words, salvation, Christ, Savior, God, and they're they're all going to be laid out and they're going to draw you into the website with all of these concepts that you think, "I I get it. But then you'll find that the more you click through all this, all these definitions change. And and so there is a lure to this. Satan definitely will get people involved in this because these things sound so right on the surface. Uh, And yet you're not going to find a Christian scientist knocking on your door trying to convert you. There's no missionaries that are going out to spread Christian science, at least not in a traditional sense. Okay, so let's talk about the source of authority. Well, it sounds Christian. I went to the website, looking at it right now, Pastor Mike, as you're talking to me, and it sounds like they say right out of the gate, the Bible is our authority, and it does. I mean, that's one of the first things you find on their website, in any of their material, the Bible. Mary Baker Eddy talks about her past. She says, I use the Bible as my sole guide to come up with these things. That is where I got my, you know, the impetus. I mean, she claims ultimately it comes from God, as we'll see, but I mean, the scripture is our guide. And, and they'll speak in that, in that way. But I can't even write the Bible as a source of authority without making it clear they don't believe that the Bible is reliable. Uh, so it's not like the Catholic Church that says, okay, the church, the magisterium, you know, the, the, the leadership, the, the pope, all of that, that's an authority and then the Bible's the authority. And then they defend the reliability of the Bible. The Catholic Church is going to do that, not Christian science. Christian science, right out of the gate from the very beginning with Mary Baker Eddy, throws the Bible under the bus. Let me give you some examples. Science and health. Uh, all of these things, by the way, are, are versed out. Uh, they'll be, the first number is actually the page number, and then every science and, and health of the key to the Scripture is going to have line numbers as well. Uh, Sometimes they're spaced out five numbers uh, apart, but you're going to have them. And so it reads kind of like a scripture quotation, 139 or like the Quran, 16 through 22. Those are the lines in the the book. So what does she say? The manifest mistakes in the ancient versions of the Bible, the 30,000 different readings in the Old Testament and the 300,000 in the New, these facts show how a mortal and material sense stole in the divine record. So all of a sudden now, what we've got is what your average non-Christian is going to claim, is what we saw with the JWs and the Mormons. We're going to claim that the Bible that you have is not reliable. It's been changed. It's been corrupted. And so she says, uh, with its own hue darkening. So when you read it, you're reading a really messed up book, uh, and to some some extent, the inspired pages. So she's going to say it's inspired, but it's really been scrambled and messed up and, and beyond repair. Uh, and, and those of us that have been all the way back to the bibliology section of our compass night we 've learned the the great process of of what it means to look at our Bibles and say we have an accurate picture of what was originally written. And, and that basically flies, flies in the face of all this. And as you heard me, got, you heard me get angry about that a couple of weeks back uh, with the JWs, I mean, this is, 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 is tripe. It's not true to say that we don't have a reliable picture of the scripture. And if I gave myself a minute, I could get just as angry as I was a few weeks back on that. Because it's just not true. And everyone wants to throw the Bible under the bus, and they've never studied uh, the history uh, of the text, the transmission of the text, as we've spent a lot of time doing the canonical process of the text. And if you haven't listened to bibliology in The Compass Night, definitely start there. Uh, that's a very important. She goes on to say in her miscellaneous writings, and I've read many of these, uh, page 170 of, of her collection of miscellaneous writings, she says, The material record of the Bible is no more important to our well-being than the history of Europe and America. Now, just stop and think about that statement. The material record of the Bible, in other words, what it says about things that have happened, are no more important to our well-being than the history of Europe and America. But the spiritual application, right, that bears upon our eternal life. And she's going to give you the key to understanding the spiritual application of the Bible. But when it comes to the things that happen, they don't matter. As a matter of fact, she has no problem if something that she finds in the scripture, which she does repeatedly, and says, I don't like what that says because it doesn't match what I'm teaching at my lectures and in my church later, in her church when she established it, then she says it's wrong and it didn't happen. It's not true. I mean, she, for instance, as we'll find, you cannot claim that God uh, created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into the breath of life. That passage does not fit into the theology of Christian science. So Genesis 2-7, in her mind, she says outright is a lie. It's not true. And again, you can always fall back on the fact that the Bible has been corrupted and there's this hue of darkness that's come over it, and so we can't even know what's really in the Bible. And she spends a lot of time in this book, her first, you know, textbook that becomes the, the foundation for the church. I mean, she spends time in the back just dealing with passage after passage of all the things that she thinks uh, need to be misunderstood uh, differently. She starts in the first chapter, quoting Bible verses and then telling you really what should be there and what it should mean and what it should say. Um, so she, she throws the Bible under the bus. Okay, the authority in Christian science is the Bible though it 's not reliable according to Eddie and everyone else who follows her. The second one, of course, is the book here uh, that is that is available for you to read. You can buy one if you want. Uh, prefer you just go to a Christian reading room and tell them you want one, but give them, let them give you one. But this is the authority that really trumps the authority of the Bible because, as I've already said, she said it's not a reliable record. So here is what's reliable, what I wrote in 1875. Let me give you some examples of what she says about what she wrote. This is in the First uh, Church of uh, Christ Scientist and Her Miscellany, page 115. You can look all these up. She says, I would blush to write of science and health, that's her book, with key to the Scripture as I have, in such glowing terms. Word of human origin. Okay, right. I wouldn't be pumping my book with such big words. I mean, had it been of human origin. I guess if I've written something that's not of human, if it's supernatural, then I'd boast about it too and I wouldn't blush either, I guess. And I, apart from God, where its, its authored. Do you see what's being said here, right? It's not a human book. God wrote it. But as I was only a scribe echoing the harmonies of heaven in divine metaphysics, I cannot be super modest in my estimate of the Christian science textbook. Okay. Well, I guess if I wrote the Bible, I would be proud of it too, um, which is what she's saying. Christian Science website says this humanity had the Bible for close to two millennia uh, without fully understanding how to use its truth in a scientifically, there again, there's the word again, uh, which I hate to quote Prince's Bride, but I don't think that word means what you think it means, um, <laughs> right? Sorry scientifically provable way to heal and regenerate people like jesus christ did to arrive at that kind of understanding humanity needed to comprehend the bible on a deeper level they needed to unlock the bible so to speak it was the specific mission of science and health that's the book to give the world this key to the scriptures thus the title to open up their treasures and enable everyone to use them one more Christian Science and Health, this is actually within the book she's writing. She says, no human pen nor tongue taught me the science contained in this book, Science and Health. So this is a God revelation. This is a God-breathed book. This is, it's an echo of the harmonies of heaven. Last one. Your dual and impersonal pastor from here on in perpetuity is the Bible, which isn't really reliable, and the God-breathed science and health with key to the scriptures. It is with you. And the life these give, they're with you, the truth they illustrate and the love they demonstrate is the great shepherd that feedeth my flock and leadeth them beside the still waters. So from now on, right? you can have the pastor of your church, which is the mother church, there's only one, and then there are branches all around the country, concentrated in California, concentrated in LA, Orange, and San Diego County. You have all of these things These people gathering in buildings that look like churches. Did you see that one picture I put in the corner? It looks like some grand church, like Moody Church or something, right? Great big church. Well, all they do there is defer to the pastor. Well, there's nobody that gets up and preaches. They read from from science and, and health with the key to the scriptures. They may quote a few things, but there's no sermon. There's no pastor because the pastor is the impersonal pastor. You don't need pastors anymore. So she starts a church that basically says, I mean, it's one thing to start a video venue, right? I think, hey, everybody on these campuses need to listen to me. I don't mean to throw that under the bus, at least not that hard. Um, But it's another thing to say, once I die, you don't need a pastor anymore. You just got to read my books. And and that's exactly what Mary Baker Eddy has done. Authority in Christian science is the Bible and science and health with a key to the scriptures. Her writings, then, I just want to summarize, are the essential key to understanding the truth. And if that's what it is, then you know all that really matters is reading this because it is the answer to what I'm reading in the Bible. Now, does that sound a little bit like the Book of Mormon and the Bible, right? As long as I'm looking through this book, the other testament of Christ, then I got it, or even the Quran. As long as I got the Quran, I don't really need to read the Bible because much like JWs and Mormons, the Muslims say, can't trust the Bible. It's been corrupted, but our book hasn't. So anything I need to know, any question you have about the Bible, I'll answer it in the Quran. I'll answer it in the Book of Mormon. I'll answer it through the Watchtower and Tracks Society. I'll answer it through science and health and the key to the scriptures. That is how you get the truth, is in our leader's revelatory information. Now, unlike what you found with the Mormons, for instance, or the JWs and and the Watchtower and Track Society, her authority does not pass down to today's Christian science leaders. There is a president, a female president, which you might expect, um, the, the president of the mother church, She's not called the pastor. As a matter of fact, if you go to the website and you look under leadership tab, you'll see Pastor Emeritus, Mary Bicaretti. She's still the pastor. You have the president. You've got a five-member board of directors, right? I'll just read the names. Robin, Allison, Scott, Margaret, and Lyle. They're the board, along with the president, who's a female. And I'm just saying it's a very female-dominated organization, which, again, if we're going to open our Bibles about gender-specific leadership in the church, I mean, I guess that's a minor technicality, but... um, the church is led by Mary Baker in perpetuity after her departure. And these leaders are just running the organization, but they are not like the Vatican. They're not like the Watchtower and Tract Society. They're not like the president of Mormonism or the elders of the Quorum of the Twelve or any of that. It's all about Mary Baker editing. It's all about this book. So let's try and understand the basic beliefs of Christian science. And that's a mouthful because it's almost impossible. But let's try. Okay? Let's do our best. God is an impersonal force. Now, you can't catch that in reading the front page of the Christian Science website because they're talking about God like he's a person. But in reality, he is convoluted with their definitions. And to quote them, God is all in all. And you start saying, okay, all in all, I guess there's a way I could understand that and him still be a person. But they'll make clear that's not what we mean. Early on, in her generation, she was called a pantheist because you said things like this, God is good, good is mind, he's soul, principle, and life. God, spirit, being all, nothing is matter, which sounds like you're trying to talk in pig Latin or something. It's like, what did you say? But what people said is basically, if I can getting you right, God is not a person. God is all. God is everything. God is principle. God is soul. God is life. God is spirit, being all. That's If that's what he is, then you're a pantheist. And I was reading today one of her essays about, hey, why we're not pantheists. But the reality is this is what she taught, a form of pantheistic god is an impersonal force god is everything and there's limitations on that as we'll see because of our understanding of material matter jesus was there how does he fit in well he's a historical figure of course because i've already said the bible is a source of authority for the church matter of fact the website says on the front page it is the source of authority for the church of course with the key to understanding it which is mary baker Eddy, but christ has to be a part of this somehow so he is a historical figure But when we talk about Christ, he was a man, but then he had this thing going on because he was a healer, which drew Mary Baker Eddy to him in her illnesses, and reading the Matthew account, Matthew 8 of the paralytic, but Christ, that Christ is the divine idea, which is not a personal God, it's not God incarnate, but it's him being enveloped in that, as as she puts it, Jesus, man, enveloped by the divine idea, which is the Christ, which if I'm starting to lose you at this point, that happens to everyone because these are almost incomprehensible concepts and you should read it. I mean, I talk about the Gnostics and I joke about the Gnostics being the you know, pot-smoking, you know, uh, trippy, VW Van, Frisbee throwing philosophers of, of the second and third century, but their stuff starts to look rational when you're reading some of the depths of what you'll find even within the first chapter of, of this book. Jesus came basically to teach sickness is not real. It's illusory. It's, it's based on illusion. It's not reality. And this will start to develop. You'll start to get at least your arms around the basic nut of this concept because that really is where the rubber meets the road. You may be there to free me from sin and death, but ultimately the concern is I'm ill, I'm sick, I'm suffering, I need help. How do we do that? We'll get to that in a minute. The Holy Spirit is divine science, which again throws another wrench in trying, trying to figure out how, the, who's the Father, who's the Son, who's the Spirit. Well, in this case, He is the thing that she's practicing. The Holy Spirit is divine science. The Holy Spirit is eternal life, truth, and love. That sounds a lot like how you define the Father, but that's not a real person, and neither is the Spirit. He's the divine principle, if we call him a he. Matter of fact, he like, she likes to refer to God as Father-Mother, um, which, again, doesn't really make sense because he's an impersonal force, but we want to try and open up and be as expansive as we can in talking about God as an impersonal all-in-all, and Christ being a man, but he's enveloped with the divine idea and is able to do things because he's enveloped by the divine idea. And then the spirit, when the Bible talks about, you just need to think about that as the exercise of divine science, the divine principle that Jesus revealed. Humans are not matter. And I guess in a sense, you see that, you read that statement, you think, well, I guess that's what we've been taught, haven't we, in the Bible? I mean, we are spirit and we're contained in flesh and I don't want to be so dichotomized that I don't recognize that we're kind of a homogenous connection of spirit and flesh. But ultimately, I'm spirit and flesh is my housing and I'm naked without it, as Second Corinthians 5 says. And then one day I'll be reassembled in a perfect flesh, which is my reconstituted, re- resurrected body. So in a way, I can see that I am spirit and my flesh is my housing. But that's not what they're meaning by that. Because you would say, I'm a human being, both my spirit and flesh, that's all real. But they say that's not real your flesh. Man is, who you are, is an idea, this divine idea, this principle, this all-enveloping life and truth and love. It's certainly not flesh and bones. And though I'd say, well, I guess I'm not flesh and bones. The flesh and bones that I am encased in is real, and it is who I am. It is a part of who I am. It's not the essence of who I am. But she goes much, much further than that. Man is the image of love. God is expressing himself in the realities of who we are as human beings, and it's not flesh, and it's not bones, okay? We are, and again, I'm just using these phrases because they're used repeatedly, the compound idea of God. That's what we are. We're God's thought, but God is not personal. He's, to best put it, an impersonal force, and this idea that Jesus was enveloped in, and we are that, and even Jesus, who he really was, wasn't that body. Matter of fact, they'll deny the physical aspects of what Christ did. There's no place for that in theology, as we'll see. Sin, if you want to talk about sin, it is the part of what is unreal. The unreal material is the problem, and that's sin. And if you say, well, wait a minute, material does not exist, then sin does not exist, and then, then I think you're, you're on to me. That's it. Sin is a part of this unreal material. But if it's part of this unreal material, if it's a component of that, well, then it doesn't exist. Well, you're right. Sin does not exist. Well, huh, exactly. Now you got it. And in that sense, I'm incapable of sin and I'm incapable of sickness. Now you're starting to see where she's going. In other words, the problem is sin. Sin is a part of the material. The material is an illusion. The material is sin, but sin is an illusion. And you know what? The material can get sick. That's an illusion. That's sin. That's wrong. What we need to do, that divine principle, needs to eschew and and displace this material, which is not real. It's illusory. And so I want it to go away. Therefore, I'm going to focus on what is spiritual because what is Physical material is not real. Got it? Mary Baker Eddy says, at best, now note this carefully matter is only a phenomenon of mortal mind, of which evil is the highest degree. Okay, wait a minute. Matter is only a phenomenon of the mortal mind, so matter is not real, of which evil is the highest degree. So, evil, which is the problem, and you're going to deliver me from evil and death. Okay, I got it. It's an expression of the mortal mind. But really, there is no such thing as a mortal mind. Oh, you lost me. Let me try and catch this now. The material world is a phenomenon of the mortal mind, of which evil is the highest degree. There is no such thing as the mortal mind, though we're compelled to use the phrase in the endeavor to express the underlying thought. Now, I've grappled a lot with this. And of course, I try to always read source material, and then I'll read what people have written about these folks. And, and of course, every week I'll read what the late, great uh, Walter Martin said and in his original version of the Kingdom of, of Colts, which made it all the way down through the last revision that was done. He said this about that statement. He says, these are strange words indeed, are they not? Giving a name to an illusion that does not exist, representing it as evil, which is equally non-existent, and then blaming it all for all the physical woes which cannot exist since there is no, rea- no reality or existence apart from mind or God. Now, read that again. These are strange words indeed, aren't they? Giving a name to an illusion that does not exist, representing it as evil, which is equally non existent, and then blaming it for all physical woes, which cannot exist, since there is no reality or existence apart from mind or God. This type of reasoning is considered sound thinking by Christian scientists the world over. I read that this week and laughed out loud. I said, I think I do have it, because Walter's saying exactly what I'm thinking. This makes no sense. And it didn't take Walter Martin to figure this out. Mark Twain said, This very day there are thousands upon thousands of Americans of average intelligence who fully believe in the science and health, although they cannot understand a line of it. <laughs> right? And who are also, they worship the sordid and ignorant, old pallorier, that's the, the, the purveyor of a, of a lie, the false, you know, the, the, it actually goes back to the word thief, nevertheless, but she's a crook, of the gospel that kind of gospel, should have put that in quotes, Mrs. Mary Baker G. Eddy, who they do absolutely believe to be a member, now here's his sarcasm, by adoption of the Holy Family and on the way to push the Savior to third place and assume the occupancy of his present place and continue that occupancy during the rest of eternity. (laughs) That was from the autobiography of Mark Twain. So Walter Martin's got it right. This is wordplay that doesn't make sense. As soon as you have someone of above average intelligence like Walter Martin or anybody else who reads this stuff, you're going to get to the place where you say, the average person that hears this, you don't understand what you're reading because it doesn't cohere. It doesn't make logical sense. It is in Latin, a non sequitur. It doesn't logically follow. But let's continue in the basic beliefs of Christian science. Healing takes place by knowing there is no thing to be healed. That is how you get healed. Healing takes place. You want your problem fixed. She says she's discovered the problem. When her spinal injury took place, which people say is simply some inflammation. She needed to rest. She needed to to, to convalesce. Nevertheless, she says, I found the secret. And that is to, to know, not just to think, not just to guess, but she says to be certain that it doesn't exist, that there is no sickness. Sickness is the error that truth casts out. I need to know that it doesn't exist. And then it will cast out the problem. The effect will go away. Sickness was unreal to Jesus, subduing belief in it. See, he didn't go around doing, as she said, some kind of miraculous thing the way you consider miraculous, like there were bad cells there or there was something damaged there, and he didn't speak a word and fix it all. What he did is he subdued people's belief in the problem. Hey, blind man, you need to stop with the reality or the thinking that you have the reality of, of, of optic nerves that don't work or rods and cones that are damaged or, you know, lenses of your, your cornea that don't, you stop thinking that. There, you have to subdue that with the truth and the truth is going to cast out the error of the physical ailment. Jesus could not and did not suffer for sins to speak a little of the Christology, right? That makes no sense. Certainly would be no theological purpose to it. Jesus came to give us the key to scripture, which wasn't unlocked for almost 2000 years when... Mary Baker Eddy came around. Jesus did not physically rise from the dead. He did not. She'll talk about the resurrect, resurrected appearances of Christ, but that's not, he's not physically resurrected. And in that sense, it's almost that, you know, that kind of Gnostic view of, of material bad and, and spirit good, and there are actually connections to that philosophy in this. There could be no physical resurrection from the dead. Hell, by the way, to speak about what's at stake here, is simply uh, a mortal, untrue belief to think that there is hell either now or later that's part of your material expression in your brain and your humanity and all of that you that doesn't exist you're believing things that aren't true okay hell is a state of mind to put it in terms that may be easier for us to understand so if i believe in that in my thinking i'm believing a lie and that itself is the hell it's suffering the hell of that and and she uses words like guilt and Words that deal with a stricken conscience, those are the bad things. Those are feelings about things that don't really exist. And it is the torture, and it is the thing that she defines as hell. Evil, and you could read this if you want to look up the concept of evil and, and the devil. Uh, all of that is really just error. Error. It's, it's what's wrong. I mean, if she ever wants to append a word to it, a phrase to it, it's animal magnetism, which is a big part of, you go back to Quinby. I don't have time to get into all that, but the concept of evil is something that sometimes she did put in some kind of, of propositional terms, but in reality, when she sat and taught and philosophizes in her revealed reflections of the harmonies of heaven, it's not real. The devil's not real, evil's not real, hell is not real. Sin is nothing other than the opposite of truth i whatever you believe that's not real is sin because that's the problem and we need to free you from that and death ultimately is the illusion sickness is an illusion death is an illusion okay salvation i want to be saved great it's a freedom from believing in matter god is a divine idea jesus developed in the christ idea the divine idea i want to be like that Mary Baker Eddy revealed to me that that's the goal, is to think like Christ. Every illness is not real. Matter is not real. The physicality of life is not real. I want to be freed from that. That's salvation. And in that sense, she says, man, who he is, the idea of, the, of who he is, which is nothing other than the reflection, the goodness of God, that's what you already are, so you're already saved. Everyone is saved. You need to discover that salvation, because we are God's expressed idea in the world. So everyone's already saved, it's just that they don't know it, and they don't recognize it because they're bound in the hell of believing realities that are quote-unquote realities that are not real things they experience salvation is life it's truth it's love it's understanding all of that it's applying that matter has no life that's why you're not matter that's why things that are tactile and sentient those things are not life uh real reality is life and and life is not matter so matter has no real existence as they often say there's no truth in matter Matter is the lie. Matter is the illusion. So I'm all about truth, and that's what I want. All that's real is infinite mind. All that re- is real is the divine principle. All that is real is truth and love, and, and I want to understand that. I want to express that by overcoming any of this false belief in the corporeal, tactile material of this world. Okay, now I told you this is going to be tricky, but I want to talk about the contradiction of Christian science. That no matter what, the young Mary Baker Eddy becomes the old Mary Baker Eddy. She was sickly. She had a lot of pain in her life. For that, I'm compassionate and I feel for her. I mean, a husband that deserts you, a husband that dies, you know, within the first year of your marriage, a son that's sickly, and if it is to the extent that you can't handle it because you don't even have a mom or a husband anymore, painful, difficult. But now you're claiming you have the key, and the key is your understanding that all matter is not real and that you are an expression of the divine principle. And all you have to do, like Christ, is controvert all that by simply believing and knowing and understanding and affirming and and, and applying and expressing this divine principle, which is not a real God. It's not a prayer to a real God, Though they talk all the time about prayer. And you can read, she's got a whole section in here on prayer. But the idea is, I'm still going to have problems, as she did, repeated problems, problems that she worked hard to keep under the radar. Uh, Even when her third husband died. Well, I'll talk about that. I think I put that on the worksheet. Let's just talk about her poor health to, to start with. After she's discovered the keys to health. So she's got the keys to health, but she's now got bad health. How does that work? She's the poster child of the first person to have the revelation from God as how to fix all this, to overcome it all. And yet she had a whole mouthful of teeth that she had to have extracted just to use a couple of examples, and I could go on and on about what's purported, but things that are incontrovertible in in terms of of her dental health, incredibly painful. She ended up wearing dentures, which again, makes no sense in in her philosophy. Uh, In the old age, you won't see her with these pictures, but had to wear glasses just to read. Her last segment of life, like most of us, you know, we get past certain age, we can't read without glasses, which had no place in her theology. Matter of fact, this is well chronicled. Early in life, she got hooked on i would say that may be too strong but i think there's documented evidence for this but certainly was a user of morphine throughout her life and increasing dosages after she you know reached a certain age practicing quote-unquote as a practitioner of health and healing still addicted uh, to these these things and cranking out these opioids in her life the suffering and death of her loved ones I mean, she loved people that after she had discovered the keys to health, people that loved her in her inner circle, dying and, and ill. As a matter of fact, she had to explain that her young third husband, Eddie, that died, she, and this is an embarrassment to the church to this day, claims that he had some bizarre mentally administered arsenic into his brain. That was her claim. And so he did could die in this case because he was overcome by some nefarious plan of his enemies. Because in reality, her much younger husband should have been able to not to succumb to death. Um, It reminds me of a, and Pastor Pete can confirm this for you. I'll leave him unnamed, but a very, very famous faith healer uh, in in our area. Not our neighbor, but one like him and is popular in his heyday. We ended up at a vigil by the bedside of his brother-in-law who uh, was dying at the hospital up here and, and we couldn't even get the faith healers on TV healing everybody to show up as he deteriorated at St. In, in, Joe's and uh, ended up dying after several months. I mean, Pete was there reading the Bible to him and uh, working with the family and the wife or the sister of this very famous faith healer uh, wouldn't even show up. He didn't even show up until I preached the funeral service, and there he sat, and I wanted to come off the stage and strangle him because of, of, I mean, I just thought, here you are. I mean, I'd wake up in the morning and see him on the television if I deviated from the news channel, and and, and here he's talking uh, in grandiose terms about everyone getting their healing while his beloved family members are suffering and dying, and he didn't as much as show up, pray for them. The the con men. And, and, And again, I don't want to get angry at this point, but I've seen this kind of person up close. I've studied this kind of person in our day. And when you have a kind of philosophy that claims a kind of key to health and you can't see those keys open the problem for your own loved one's lives, then I've got no time to hear what you have to say. And the ultimate contradiction of Christian science, I suppose, though they will talk their ways around this, you can't read this book and, and, and not have a problem with December third, 1910, which is the day she succumbed to the illusion of death. Uh, which, as I like to say from the platform for the modern charlatans, every faith healer dies. That should be a problem in their theology at some point because if everyone gets their healing, if they have enough faith, and I'm thinking every faith healer lives to be an infinite number of years. Now, you see this all the time, the contradiction of Christian science. Val Kilmer is a very devout, and, and, and he, he loves Mary Baker Eddy. This is some of the recent, you know, I don't know if you track these stars. I hope you don't. But uh, of late here, he had a tumor in his throat. Val Kilmer, uh, a Christian science beliefs questioned by family as Top Gun actor insists press reports are false, which, of course, it's undeniable that he's had this tumor. And, you, you know, everyone knows it. His family knows it. His family's willing to talk to the press about how bad it is. and. Yeah, it's just a classic picture for that article. As Val Kilmer refuses uh, medical treatment and almost dies in the process. Here was an article. Val Kilmer tweets smiling photo after tumor treatment, which actually his, he was forced to do as he was rushed to the hospital with his life in danger, claims he's killing himself with Christian science. Batman Star reportedly entered intensive care in Los Angeles after he began coughing up blood late last month. Members of Kilmer's family tell that uh, RAG, TMZ, 55-year-old had a tumor in his neck for which he refused treatment since last summer. Kilmer has previously posted to Facebook page that he'd been admitted to the hospital with a, quote-unquote, complication for which he needed observation. Well, of course, he got surgery, and everyone knows that. Well, he tweets this ridiculous picture on his Twitter And he says, uh, you know, this was taken last Friday when I was released from the hospital on my way home. Freedom. And you think, well, okay, well, you're admitting that you got the treatment that you needed. Well, no. He said on his Facebook page, January 31st, Kilmer denied having undergone treatment for tumor. He wrote, thank you for all your sweet support, but I have not had a tumor or tumor operations or any operations. I I don't know. It gets absurd at, at some point. And it's so absurd, it's nefarious. It's evil. As a tweet i got this more not tweet a text i got this morning and i didn't get permission to show this i don't think it would be a problem so i blurred out the name but when i posted this morning that i was going to teach on christian science that i got this tweet on my phone my grandparents were followers of mary baker eddie my great-grandparents they had 12 children didn't take them to the doctor and only my grandfather and one other made it to adulthood evil stuff and of course my long-winded response is wow really yikes uh, <laughs> Which my family will tell you, I'm a a classic one-word responder to text messages. And he said, that's the story. Christian Science almost wiped out, and he gives his family name, the blank family, completely. This is the problem. As a matter of fact, if you go on the website and you just type in people who have died because of Christian science, there are a lot of angry people, for instance, who have a brother who have children, and their nephews and nieces end up dying because they don't treat their kids for basic things. They certainly won't vaccinate them. They won't deal with their problems. They won't, uh, you know, set their bones. They won't give them the treatment they need when they have a serious problem in their in their bodies. Uh, it's 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 evil, and it's awful. And the only good news I can bring you tonight about this particular group is that it seems to be waning in terms of, of popularity. And yet you still have people that are, are idolized by our culture uh, that believe this stuff. Now, of course, I'm teaching this semester bad theology. Do you want good theology? Because I've said these things sometimes, and people that are warmed up to these doctrines, which I hope we don't have many here tonight that will have warmed up to these doctrines, they say, I don't see a problem with what you're saying. Well, do you need to go back to what we've taught. Go to anthropology, talk about the creation, go to Christology, understand the physicality of the incarnation of Christ. Go to theology proper and understand that God is not a divine principle. Go to pneumatology and understand that the spirit is not some kind of bizarre expression or or, or personification of some kind of truth and love and understanding. Uh, You have to study what the Bible has to say in terms of the truth about these things to look at these things and say instantly, "This this is ridiculous. But I just thought one passage might be worth bringing up as long as we're talking about good theology where the apostle Paul who had every chance in the world to talk to his young pastor protege in first Timothy chapter five is the pastor at Ephesus. He says, don't drink water only. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now here's a great opportunity for the purveyor of this healing. Clearly the apostle Paul got it from Christ. He should know. I mean, it's in the Bible and, and, and Mary Baker already quotes the Bible and Paul's writings. And yet he says, Timothy, you're getting sick a lot. Not only is he not following the advice of the, of, of, the, of the frauds who are the faith healers around us who are having people send in their social security checks to get their healings, but certainly he's not trying to get them somehow him somehow to not buy the reality of your frequent ailments. He's not trying to overcome that with some kind of positive thinking. As a matter of fact, he's saying you've got those ailments, they're real, and you ought to have some medicinal response to them. Now there's lots in this passage. For instance, that a pastor here is drinking only water in the first century when all you have as a choice is wine or water, which says something about the wisdom of leaders in ministry, in particular abstaining from alcohol, but that's another sermon. Uh but I'll stand by that one. But Paul's saying, no, you're going to need some of that for your stomach and your frequent ailments. And if you say, well, that's great. I, I love to drink alcohol and, and, cause my stomach, I think I'm feeling a little rumble in my tummy right now. I need, I need some, I need, I need a margarita. If you're saying that, I just want to give you this graphic that there are other things these days that are better. Paul didn't have other treatments for your belly. But the point and the principle I hope you understand. And that is if you have an illness, go get some, something to help that and see real science. Not Mary Baker Eddy's science is saying we figured out, by God's grace, ways that we can counteract some of the ailments of our frail bodies and we ought to to employ them when we have the problems. All right? Great. Believe it or not, I'm early again. Let's pray together. God, easy for us to laugh at these things. And in some ways, that's uh, appropriate, I suppose. There's a folly in the foolishness of men and women who do not submit their hearts and their minds to the word of God. They are not filled with sound reason. As a matter of fact, when they deny the truth, as Romans 1 says, they become fools. Hard for us not to laugh at folly, and we understand that, and yet we grieve even for someone like Val Kimmer, who I'm sure has brought all of this upon himself. But I think here's a man that's coughing up blood and should have been at the doctors long before this. And God, like uh, King Asa, we don't want to put our trust in physicians. We want to learn the lesson that he didn't learn, and we want to trust in you but that is not to the exclusion of treating our ailments with medical science that's the great gift that you've given us and increasingly so compounded through the through the centuries and we're grateful god that we have lots of things we can have an inflamed spine and take some ibuprofen we can even go further and have lots of treatment for that and and we're grateful for that but god we grieve for those that deny its reality and its existence we end up hurting themselves hurting their families hurting their children and god we want to pray that this evil kind of thinking would be eradicated from our state, from our county. We pray that these reading rooms would shut down. We pray that people that pick up the writings of of Mary Baker Eddy would quickly put them down and recognize that there's no truth in this, that they would be led to your word and to read your word with a cogent mind, as the scripture says. If we're going to pray, we're going to pray with our minds. Certainly, if we're going to read the Bible, we're going to read with our minds. And by the grace of God, you enlighten us to understand your word. And it is a rational book. Unlike many of the books that we've looked at, and this one in particular, Science and Health are the Key to the Scriptures, is a book that is just so inconsistent. It was pointed out by secularists of the day. It's certainly been pointed out by the researchers of our generation and certainly tried to articulate it here as a pastor of a church that cares about this church enough to want to see us not just shrug our shoulders and say, well, it's got Christian in the name. I guess they're okay. God, help us to care about the lost. Help us to care about those who will suffer because of error, not just physical problems being exacerbated, but the ultimate problem of rejecting the life and the death and the physical resurrection of Christ and the penalty that comes when they stand before you and hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And as Paul said, it's not just the resurrection of the righteous, it's the resurrection of the unrighteous. So these people will be in physical bodies, resurrected with bodies that are impervious to decay and death, but very sentient and real. And in that state they will have to suffer the penalty of their sin and the rejection of the truth. So help us to be compassionate evangelists, but ones that are persuasive, that want to bring the message of the truth to those that are tied up in in lies. Thank you so much again, as I said at the outset, for our opportunity to do this uninterrupted by our culture, at least at this particular point, that we can study your word, we can talk about these things openly. We pray it would equip us and prepare us, not only to speak well and intelligently to our friends who might be tempted by these doctrines but to pray more intelligently and help us to be good at praying in terms of interceding for these folks as we speak not to an impersonal force but to a personal god who you have directed us christ to call our father thank you so much god for that we pray to you with faith believing we trust you for wisdom in the next conversation we have when the words christian science come up and we pray that you'd give us a kind of caring loving diplomatic heart, one that represents our ambassadorship of heaven well. Thanks for this crew, for their faithfulness in coming Thursday after Thursday. Bless them for this investment, and let it bear fruit in their lives, I pray in Jesus' name.